It is good to be gathered, good to see you. Uh, thankful that we are gathered together this morning. We are still walking through 1 Corinthians where, by God's grace, we are wrapping up chapter 1 uh, this morning where we are going to see Paul continue to call the church uh, to unity, continue to call the church to holiness, and then continue to remind the Corinthian Christians of who it is that they now belong to. Now, this message was important for Paul, would be important for the Corinthian Christians, because as we have already stated, the church had literally fallen apart, if you will. There was division outside of the church, there was division even amongst their ranks, and they had found themselves divided over the biggest of issues all the way down to the most minute and smallest issues. And so ultimately they found themselves literally grasping for hope anywhere they could possibly find it beyond Jesus Christ. Now if you think about that for a moment, that's, that's almost similar to, to what we do today as a society, even as Christians at times. You see, how many times for us as believers, when things get hard, when we find ourselves struggling to see hope, we want to run. How many times do we find ourselves in the midst of heartache, in the midst of frustration, even in the midst of anger and bitterness, and we want to find our own solutions versus turning to the Word? You see, I think if we were honest with ourselves in those moments, we, we know that we probably should pick up the Word, but if we're being honest, after a day or days of being physically drained, mentally drained, emotionally drained, the Word itself can feel like lifting a massive elephant. And here's what ultimately happens. Spiritually, we begin to weaken because we just don't believe that we have the strength to turn to the Word of God. We just don't believe in these moments that we have the strength to turn to the encouragement of other like-minded believers to be reminded not only who we belong to, but also to be reminded of who we are because of who we now belong to. Well, as we look in our text here at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, this is exactly where we find Paul as he gets this update from the Corinthian Christians and he writes back to them simply saying, brothers and sisters, consider your calling or remember your calling. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to join with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We are going to begin reading in verse 26, and we are going to finish out chapter 1 this morning. And once you have found your place there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now again, this is Paul writing to the Corinthian Christians to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, Paul writes... For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that... No human being might boast in the presence of God. 
And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Now, by this point in our letter, we have already seen how the Corinthian Christians themselves have now wandered off into factions based upon a particular leader, or better yet, the rhetorical skills of the leaders that they themselves chose to follow. Now, it would be easy at this point to to blame their environment, but the reality is this. The Corinthian Christians wanted control of what was happening. They wanted to to take hold of what was happening all around them, So so they made up these factions based upon their own pride. Now, a week ago, we saw Paul attack their pride by reminding them that the foolish message itself, what the world calls foolish, is the message of hope. Because it's the message of the cross. It's the message of the, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, and it's the only hope that we now have in this world. Now looking to our text today, Paul now calls the Corinthian Christians to consider or better yet, to remember what it is that God has done and how God acts and chooses in such a way that man has nothing to boast in. So notice in our text how Paul reminds the church again about their salvation and about how their boasting should be in the Lord since he is the one who did the work of salvation. It's almost similar to what the, uh, the fellows have been reading about in our, our Thursday morning times together as we've been reading the wonderful works of God with Herman Bavink and what he would call man's highest good. He says, God and God alone is man's highest good. So you see, like the words of Bavink, Paul now calls the Christians to remember, to reflect, or better yet, to consider your Calling. So let's look further into this text to see what it is that Paul wants the Corinthian Christians to consider or to remember as they continue to live out lives of faith. First, look with me in verse 26 as Paul reminds them to consider who you were. Verse 26, he says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Now again, notice how Paul opens here with familial language when he refers to the Christians as brothers. Again, this is our word for brothers and sisters. Now, I think at this point, Paul uh, really is stressing this familial language because Paul is about to say some strong words, and he's going to continue to get into some stronger words, and he's doing so for the purpose of accountability. Now, to kind of unpack what we're talking about in this moment, Paul is in the midst of seeking to iron out the teachings or the, the lack of belief in the church. So he's sharing these words, not because he's looking for a fight. He's, he's sharing these words, not because he's, he's seeking to, to bully someone or to, or, to, or to press people into thinking that things ought to be done his way, but rather he is seeking the good and the welfare of the church because he loves the church. Thus, 
why he says to them, he says, I say this to you in love. You see, here's the truth. Sometimes as Christians today, we're going to come across moments where we will have hard words to share with one another according to the word. And the reality is we don't share these words because we're seeking to be mean. Rather, we are doing so because we believe in one another, because we believe in what it is that Jesus Christ has done for us. And thus we believe in sanctification, which should lead us to believe in accountability. You see, we as believers believe and seeking to see one another grow as the day of the Lord draws near. And so there will be times where hard words will be necessary. Accountability will be necessary. As long as we remember that accountability are words that are spoken in love. And so Paul says, I'm speaking these things to you as a family today because I love you. Now notice then how Paul writes of the calling, which is the same word he actually uses back in verse 24 when he says, but to those who are called. Now this word does not refer to one's vocation, but rather Paul is making reference to our station or to our base in life, which was when we were called to salvation. Literally, Paul in this moment, is saying to the Corinthian Christians, you all want to boast in your status based upon the pastor or the leader that you want to follow. And I want you to to stop what you're doing and, and take this thing all the way back to the foundation. Take this thing all the way back to home base. Go back to the foundational truth that is your salvation itself. Notice that Paul is calling the church to consider who they were at this point. He says, in light of your salvation. In the text, he says, not many of you were wise. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. And he says that this was all according to worldly standards. Notice that Paul is literally reminding the Corinthian Christians that none of them were wise. None of them were powerful. None of them were prominent by the standards of the world. In fact, they they thought themselves to be high in society, but the reality is that thought was merely an illusion that was behind their own personal thoughts. And so what Paul says to them is this. He says, when Christ found you, you had no status. When Christ found you, if anything, you were of low status. And so it's here that Paul reminds the church of who they were. He says that you were not elite. You were not prominent. You were not high class. You were found broken. You were found lowly. You were found in desperate need of hope. You were in desperate need of care. You were in desperate need of leadership. And so what Paul is doing is he's reminding the Corinthian Christians of this fact, of the fact of how low they were in order to squash the natural desire to think that what you need in life is a high social status. And so Paul was calling the Christians out for their pride. And he was saying to them, you need to bring your pride back in check. You see, for us today in a country that celebrates individual expression 
In a country that celebrates individual status, it is easy to get lost in seeking after what the world calls good. It's easy to forget who we are, and better yet, to forget who we were. Even in church culture where we celebrate prominent speakers, we we celebrate prominent bands, we celebrate uh, mega churches, we often go to conferences and we hear from these mega church pastors who say, listen, all you need to do is do as I do. And so we say, well, let's just be like them. And so what happens is this. We begin to act like them. We look like them. And even though what they may be doing is great, the reality is this. When we begin to look and act like someone else, we are no longer growing in our own understanding of God. And we are no longer growing in our own understanding of the Word. You see, here's a a reality that I believe that many of us need to understand as believers today is is there are so many times where as Christians today, especially in Western society, we get caught up in the pursuit of acting like someone else, of thinking, well, look at their life. If I could just mirror their life, then all of a sudden everything will get better. And what happens is this, our faith is no longer our own and we end up copying someone else's faith. And the reality is, according to Paul, he would say, then you and your faith no longer match what it is God has called you to. And therefore, you and your faith have forgotten who you were. Thus, you have forgotten the work itself. You see, Paul would say to us, listen, stop chasing something that you are not. Put to death your own pride. Put to death your own desire of of seeking to make a name for yourself. And the way you do this is by remembering who you were. Now, again, please hear me on this. Paul is not saying to us that all of a sudden you need to stop working hard and just be poor and miserable and wretched. Okay, some people have taken this way too far and said, well, then what this means is this. I am very successful at work. I get a lot of accolades at work. I get a lot of promotions at work. And if Paul, what Paul's saying is true, I just need to now start being mean to my employees, mean to my boss, and then me and my family are going to move into a cardboard box or better yet, live in a yurt behind our church. I still like the idea of living in a yurt behind the church, by the way. However, that's not what Paul is calling us to. He's simply saying this, don't lose sight of who you were. Don't lose sight of where you came from. Don't lose sight of the fact that what you were seeking was the standards of the world. Remember who you were. Because it's going to matter as we move forward from here. So brothers and sisters in Christ, let me ask you this morning, have you checked your pride at the door? Today, did you, did you come seeking to make much of, of Jesus Christ or did you come today seeking to make a name for yourself? And I want to tell you, if this is something that you're struggling with, don't lose heart. There is encouragement. Others around you are, are struggling as well. But if this is you, then heed the words of Paul when he says to us, consider who you were. Paul will move on from there in verses 27 and 28, and he teaches us this, that not only should we consider who we were, but he says, consider God's choice. Look with me, verse 27. He says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. 
God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So notice after focusing on who we were, Paul now turns his attention to the work that God has now done. Now again, pay attention to the phrase that we see three times in this passage, God chose. Paul literally uses this phrase in order to to further define the word calling that we talked about in verse 26, but then also what we talked about with calling last week, um, especially when we talked about the effective call. You see, Paul in his own beliefs is now confirming the effective call to salvation. In other words, Paul is saying this, it is God's electing grace which allows some to be saved because God chose them. Now again, don't get lost here. Let me unpack this for a moment, okay? Some would say, okay, wait a minute, what does Paul mean? Which, by the way, if you're one of those who loves the Bible and the red letters of the Bible and you have a red pen, underlining he chose in red, fantastic, try it. So here's what Paul means. You see, there is a general call, a general call where the gospel is preached to all, a a general call where the gospel is is preached to the nations, to to the peoples. However, there is this thing called an effective or an effectual call. Some have referred to it as a limited call, which refers to those who hear the gospel and are called to faith by God. Thus, the call is effectual in both power and outcome. It is a call where the sinner's heart is regenerated and his will is liberated. And then here's the key word to it all. It is God who is the one who has done all the work. We did nothing. We we couldn't do anything on our own. Some would then argue at this point, then why bother sharing the gospel at all? If God has already determined who will be saved and who will not. Well, Let me give you two reasons. First one is this. As a believer in Christ, knowing that God chose, this really should give us assurance in the fact that even on our best day, we were found as wretched, miserable sinners. We needed a Savior to do the work. Why? Because Romans 3 tells us, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And again, like we talked about last week, okay, People argue that, well, how is God being fair here? And again, we said that God is fair, but God is also just. And what we learn from Romans 3 is that in God's justness, we deserve death for our sin. We read more about that as you get into Romans 6. However, what is unfair is that God in his grace gave us his son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to die the death that we deserved, to become the atoning sacrifice, to make the payment that we ourselves could not afford. Even on our best day, we could not afford what it was that Jesus Christ did on our behalf. I mean, just to give you an idea, I don't know, many of you probably know my schedule by this point, okay? I'm, I'm in the office. Wednesday mornings are one of my favorite times of the week because that is the time where I start my first rough draft of the sermon, okay? So that's the day where I take all these notes that I have in my brain, 
all the reading, some of the commentaries, a lot of Bible, and I begin to put all this thing on paper, okay? It's like taking everything that's up here and putting it down on paper. But here's what happens. I wanted to see uh, just kind of how wretched I am this week. And so this week took a little longer. I had my computer out. I had my journal next to me. And here are some of the thoughts that I wrote down. I wrote down everything that started running through my mind, okay? And uh, a lot of them were good sermon notes, but then here are some of the other thoughts I had. As I was typing this sermon, I felt anger. I felt anger. I started thinking about certain people from my past. and started thinking to myself, oh God, if you just open the door and let me speak to them one more time. Sin, right? I'm writing a sermon. This is supposed to be my best day. And here I am dealing with anger. I started thinking to myself, man, this sermon is going so well. This might put me on par with John Piper. Maybe today we need to YouTube this one. Like, like this is the day. Like, everybody talks about, you know, there's Alistair Begg, there's John Piper, there's R.C. Sproul, and then God bless Johnny Harvey. We got a great one. And I, I no, don't amen that. That's horrible. <laughs> I don't belong in that company. Although, yeah, that would be cool. I just love that. I'd love to have coffee with them. That's really all I want. Anyway, okay. I wrote that down. Why? Because it exposed my sin of pride. On my best day as a pastor, writing a sermon, here I am dealing with anger. Here I am dealing with pride. Why? Because even on my best day, my sin nature still shines through. Even on my best day, the only way to stop my sin nature was Jesus Christ revealing himself to me. Jesus Christ living a life, dying a death, and then rising again for, for me. For the, for, the, for the goodness of God, for the glory of God. I could do none of that. <clears throat> so, I need the work of Jesus Christ in my life. The same way on your best days. Maybe, maybe you're the best worker at your office. But even on your best day, you still sin and need a Savior. Maybe today, you're, the, you're walking around going, thanks be to God, because if it wasn't for me, our family would fall apart. Mothers, I'm speaking to you. You feel this, don't you? But even on your best day as a mom, you still need a Savior. Because why? Children are a part of the sanctification process. Don't ever tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. He gave you kids. He tests you. He really does. You may be a dad today and you're sitting here going, thanks be to God that we're even able to celebrate Mother's Day because of my spiritual leadership. By the way, I've never said that in my house. I, I still want to sleep in the bedroom, so I've never said that. But even on my best day as a father, I am still in need of a Savior. Because even on my best day, it's not enough. So, if anything, this, this effectual call that, that Paul talks about, this God choosing, even on our best day, this passage really should give us hope because, again, it's God who's doing the work. Secondly, I want us to see this. People ask, well, why should we, we witness 
Well, the reality is we should witness because you never know when you're going to come across someone who doesn't know yet that they are saved. So share with them. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I don't, I don't live in this reality where I sit there and look at people and say, well, God's going God's to sort that out. I live in the reality of, I, I just assume that they are saved. And so my job is to, to be the messenger, okay? My job is to, to share the good news of the gospel. My job is to, to, to share with them about the, the hope that we can have and the assurance that we can have because of Jesus Christ. And so we tell them about the wonderful work that God has done through Christ Jesus, who is our Savior and Lord. You see, I want you to hear all this because a lot of people hear God choosing as as some sort of horrible, God's just a mean, bully kid with a magnifying glass staring down at us like we're an anthill. And that's not the reality at all. In fact, if anything, the fact that God chose us should really give us assurance as it, as it reminds us, and I hope, I hope you, I hope it reminds you as well, of the fact that it was Jesus Christ who revealed himself to us. And then notice where the text takes us from there. Paul then tells the Christians, uh, the Corinthian Christians, who, or better yet, what it is that God chose. He said that God chose what is foolish. God chose what is weak. God chose what is low. God chose what is despised. In other words, God chose the nothings. Do you hear that? That should encourage your soul. You and I are nothing, and yet God chose us. You can literally look at your spouse or your neighbor right now and say, thanks be to God, you are nothing. And it's the only time you can get away with saying it with encouragement. Because it's God who did the work. It was God who chose the ones with no status. God who chose the ones with no influence. God who chose the ones with no power. And those are the ones that God called to himself. Now many would simply say, well, well, pastor, how do you explain athletes and, and the wealthy? And how do you explain the actors? Yeah, I can Notice what happens to their careers after they come out about their faith. It's all fun and games until they declare Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. That's why many of them only refer to themselves as, as, well, I'm a man of faith, or I'm a woman of faith. Why? Because it opens the door to whatever. Now, again, that's not a knock on them. But what it does mean is this. Again, when we are seeking after worldly standards, we miss the fact that it was God who chose the nothings to accomplish his great work. I love what Thomas Schreiner says about this point. Brilliant scholar, professor, um, read this man. He says, just as the cross reveres human expectations in terms of how the world will be saved, so too God chose to save the most unlikely candidates. I mean, think about that for a moment and, and, and what these unlikely candidates can do. You flip over to Acts chapter 4, verse 13, and we see two of these unlikely candidates. It says, and now when they saw, okay, the they is the Sanhedrin. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and then listen to what it says, and perceived them, or better yet, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men. My next phrase is that the phrase is, is my favorite of this passage. It says, they were astonished. And they recognized that they, Peter and John, had been 
with Jesus. I mean, what an incredible story of encouragement for us today. Two men, Peter and John. You want to know what Peter and John were good at? Peter, fishing. Okay? Fishing. That was his thing. Two uneducated men. Two common men. Unschooled men standing before the wisest, most educated men in society. And what do they do? In boldness, they proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And the wisest men were astonished because of what they were saying. And they knew that these men had been with Jesus. Okay, so here's the truth for us today. Let's let society say whatever they want to say about us. They want to call us dumb? Okay. They want to call us foolish? I'm good with that. They want to call us naive? I'm fine. They want to call us ignorant? Okay. Why? Because none of the words from the wise world matters. Because as believers, armed with the word of God, gathered corporately for worship, encouraging one another through prayer, we have Jesus. So say what you want. Call us what you want. It doesn't change the fact that we now have Jesus and our relationship with Jesus Christ is all that matters. So brothers and sisters in Christ, do yourselves a favor and stop grasping for status. Stop grasping for the praise of the world. Stop grasping for the rhetoric of particular leaders. None of that matters. We will never have the status that we hope for in this world. We will never obtain it. We will never be able to reach it. All of this grasping only reveals our own pride and it reveals our own insecurities. So what you need to grasp is Jesus Christ. What you need to cling to is his word. So, I ask, what are we grasping at in this life? Now, notice the text. Paul continues, and he tells us why God chose the nothings. Why did God choose the lowest in society? He says it, to shame the wise, to shame the strong, to bring to nothing things that are. Now, notice that Paul is not speaking of shame in the present moment, but rather what Paul is speaking to here is of the shame that would come and that would be experienced in final judgment. And then he goes on to use the phrase to bring to nothing, or better yet, to nullify. Again, Paul is speaking of a final judgment that is to come. Paul literally says to the Corinthian Christians, a day is coming where the wise, the strong, those who believe in their own prominence and their own popularity, They believe that they themselves are important. A day is coming where they themselves will be brought low. They will be brought to nothing because God will render them useless and ineffective apart from Jesus Christ. Notice that Paul is showing us that our wisdom and our strength and our popularity may win friends on this earth. 
We may have thousands of friends on social media, but it does not win for us the eternal reward. Only those who are in Christ will get that. Notice again that Paul is calling the Corinthian Christians to check their pride at the door because it is God again who is doing the work here. Thus, why he calls the church to consider God's choice. So I want to ask you, brothers and sisters in Christ, are you resting your hope in your own wisdom today? Are you resting your hope in your own pride and your own popularity, which, oh, by the way, all of those things will fail you? Or in humility, have you realized your need for a Savior because in Him is where our only hope lies. Brings us to our third point. See it in verse 30. Paul tells us not only to consider who we were, consider God's choice. Verse 30, he says simply, consider Jesus. He says that because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Now, yes, I recognize I just skipped verse 29, Okay. Do not panic. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. But let's look at verse 30, because here Paul reveals that even though our own wisdom and strength will fail us in the end, we can still place our faith in Christ, who is our wisdom, he is our righteousness, he is our holiness, and he is our redemption. Notice Paul says that you are in Christ Jesus, meaning that we, because of Christ, are now in communion with God. We are now in union with Christ. And then notice the phrase that he says, you are in Christ Jesus because of him. Again, Paul tells us, man, we are in Christ because of what God has already done. We're, 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 not, we're not in Christ because of anything that we have done. Notice again that Paul reminds the Corinthian Christians that they cannot take any credit in belonging to Jesus Christ since it was God's grace that made faith in Christ possible for them. And so then pay attention to what Paul does next. He refutes the wisdom of the Corinthian Christians by saying that Jesus Christ himself became to us wisdom from God. And then notice that Paul teaches that we all that all of us have a need for salvation that is found in the grace of God, revealed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which ultimately reveals the wisdom of God himself. And if that wasn't enough, he gives us a list of words that describe the very nature of God's wisdom. He talks about righteousness and sanctification and, and redemption, which, oh, by the way, let me pause here for a moment. Um, for those who believe that knowing Christian words is not a good thing, think again. Read your Bible. And you're like, well, these words don't mean anything to the world around me. You're right, they don't. It's because they don't know what they mean because we've done a poor job of defining them. So know them and define them. So with that being said, let's work backwards on these words to see how each of these words reveal the very nature of God's wisdom. Let's start with redemption. You see, redemption tells us that we were slaves to our sin. Thus, we were in need of a Savior and in need of an atoning sacrifice to liberate us and to set us free. Thus, the need for Jesus Christ. And it was through Christ that redemption came for His people. That then leads back to sanctification. Sanctification meaning since we are now redeemed and liberated through salvation in Christ, we are now continually 
being set apart and saved and made holy as we continue to grow in our faith in Christ Jesus. And a day is coming where we will know full salvation and it will be at the day of judgment when the work of salvation will be complete. But Paul's not done there. Take it one step backwards again. He talks about redemption and sanctification and then he speaks of righteousness and he says that because we have been liberated, because we are now being set apart and growing in our own faith, this salvation and and sanctification and growth now reveals to us that we are in right standing with God. Thus we no longer stand condemned by God. Therefore we are righteous. You see, thanks be to God for redemption, sanctification, and righteousness. Because each of these words show us the wisdom of God, which reveals that salvation has now been bestowed upon us. Therefore, we do not walk or speak in folly. We speak on the wisdom of knowing Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Thus, Jesus himself is the wisdom of God. Jesus himself is the way to faith. So as believers today, as we remember who we were, as we remember God's choice, let's also remember that God's choice led us to Jesus. I pray that as a church for all of us, that we would never lose sight of what Jesus did according to the wisdom of God. Church, did you hear me on that? On your worst day, when your job fails you, when your home fails you, when you fail those around you, God's choice led you to Jesus. Don't lose sight of the foundational truth of what we believe. I mean, this is why when we, we come to church, we pray. Sunday nights, one of the things we pray for is we pray for God to bring people, believers, who need to hear the gospel preached to themselves. I'm going to tell you something, guys. If, if you're discouraged today and you're struggling today, can I ask you a question? When was the last time you preached the gospel to yourself? When was the last time you reminded yourself of who you were by God's grace? When was the last time you reminded yourself of, of who it is you now belong to because of Jesus Christ? So I want to ask you, do you remember who you belong to today? Do you remember the price that was paid for you? And I, and I don't ask that in a, in a judgmental, condescending way. I ask that for the purpose of encouragement for your own souls and for mine as well. This brings us to our last point, which Paul now says to consider your boasting. Verse 29. I told you we'd go back to this, right? Verse 29 and verse 31. Look with me. Paul says, verse 29, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Verse 31, skip down. He says, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now, I got to be honest with you. Boasting is such an odd thing to consider if you begin to think about it. But bear in mind that this was Paul talking to the Corinthian Christians who were now placing their hope in good leaders who had great rhetorical skills. And ultimately, their hope was no longer in Christ. So Paul begins first with with verse 29 and and he concludes with verse 31, which actually act as antonyms towards one another. 
Now in the first verse, verse 29, focuses on the fact that no one should boast about themselves in the presence of the Lord. You see, since God did the work, since God did the choosing, and our own wisdom and our own strength and our own might was never enough, then we really have nothing to boast in. None of our wisdom, none of our strength, not even our, not even our rhetorical skills would ever earn us heaven. In fact, the verse to keep in mind here is, is the story that's found in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. When the people approach Jesus, Jesus tells the story. The people will come to me and they will say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, boasting in their wisdom? Lord, did we not cast out demons or, or do mighty works in your name, boasting about their own power? And what does Jesus say to them? He says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I mean, here's the reality. When we think we have it all figured out and can do the work apart from God, man, those moments are dangerous. Because in pride, we can begin boasting in ourselves. In pride, we can, be, we can begin to boast about, about all that we have accomplished. In pride, we can think, I don't need the Bible anymore. I know enough Bible. In pride, we can say, I don't think we need to pray together as believers. In pride, it leads us to a place where we say, you know what, I don't even think I need the local church anymore. And Paul teaches us that when we get there, he says, be afraid. Be afraid, because when you begin to boast about yourself in the presence of the Lord, you may just find yourself very far from God. But praise be to God that the story does not end there. He brings us back to what we should remember in boasting. In light of verse 30, where we've already seen God and his grace doing the work through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, this is what he says. He says, and let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Again, Paul says, it is the Lord who has done the work. Remember earlier in our passage, it was the Lord who found us as nothings in our lowest, poorest state and declared us as redeemed, sanctified, and righteous. God did all of that for us. And so Paul's goal was simple when it came to boasting. You see, he wanted the Corinthian Christians who in this moment were boasting about themselves, in this moment were boasting about the leaders that they were following and their own abilities. He wanted them to simply stop and boast in the Lord, who in his wisdom was doing all of the work for his glory and our good. So brothers and sisters in Christ, let me say this to you simply. Like Paul says, if we're gonna boast about anything, let's make much of the name of Jesus the one who paid it all. So I want to ask you today, what are you boasting in? Are you boasting in your own abilities? Or are you boasting in Jesus Christ, the one who offered salvation? You see, God in his will overthrows man's strength and man's pride and man's wisdom 
And he does it by choosing the weak and the lowly over the elite. And so God, who brings about salvation, is the same God who chooses who he wills for that great gift. And the reality is this should not anger us. If anything, it should lead us to praise. Why? Because as a believer in this room, we are saved. We are being sanctified. We have been redeemed. And now we are called to share the good news to those who may not know. So Paul, knowing this truth, calls the Corinthian Christians to stop bragging on yourselves. He says to them, stop bragging on the ones that you follow. Rather, he says, consider who you were. Consider God's choice. Consider Jesus. And then consider your boasting. Are you making much of God? Or are you patting yourself on the back, seeking your own accolades? You see, if we as a church are to be united in Christ, like the Corinthian Christians was seeking, or Paul was hoping to seek, and then ultimately growing in our own holiness, that we have to remember that man is not the one that we follow. So let's not seek to make much of ourselves. Rather, as we've often sung before, we must decrease so that he would increase. I love what my friend David Platt says about this point when speaking on being satisfied in the life and the work of Jesus Christ. He says, ultimate satisfaction is found not in making much of ourselves, but in making much of God. Let's be satisfied in Christ. Let's, let's, let's not be satisfied in our own popularity. Let's make much of God in this place. Let's not make much of ourselves. And how do we do that? How do we hold our pride in check? Paul answers it simply. He says, you must consider your calling. Thanks be to God for the hope that now rests in him. Let's pray together.